You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. What is the church supposed to look like? The book of Titus shows us what it means to be changed people living together in peace. Welcome to our sermon series, This Beautiful Church, Seeing and Being the People of God. I want to warn you, this thing has come undone like three times in the last 10 minutes between my glasses and a mask and this. I need like a nose ring or something up here just, just to add one more challenge to the mask and everything else, right? Maybe a nose ring with a chain. That's what I need. <laughs> I'm sorry, now I'm thinking about myself with that right now, so I'm a little bit distracted. I'm still, okay. Well, we're at the end of Titus. And if you remember um, back when we started, the very first sermon, Lyle did a fantastic job of kind of giving an overview of the whole book. And uh, one of the things he did is he showed how many times over and over and over it, uh, Paul refers to, you know, being faithful, um, to doing good works. And one of the things I want to do is kind of um, give like a kind of a bookend to the book. Right? I'm not going to do a whole overview again, but we want to come back and kind of look at that theme that keeps happening over and over and over again. Um, and by the way, did you notice Zach did say Tychicus, right? So it's not like Tychicus or something like that, which I've heard that name pronounced all kinds of different ways, but it doesn't really look like Tychicus, but it, but it is. Tychicus is one of the guys that Paul mentions here in this, at the end of the letter. Um, and he mentions, sort of, he mentions four people, a couple of them we know and a couple we don't. Um, he, he, no, he, he says, um, you know, help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey. Uh, those two guys are bringing the letter, right? They're the ones who are coming uh, with the letter. Uh, this, is, this is really, really common. We don't know who Zenos is. He says he's a lawyer, probably an expert in Roman law. It could be Jewish law, but it's probably in this case. It, does, it, it doesn't matter, right? I don't even know why I'm telling you that. And then, then you have Apollos, who's really well-known. Apollos shows up in, in Acts 18, Right? They, he's, he's in Ephesus, and it says he's eloquent in the word of the Lord, and he's, he's in a synagogue. He's kind of standing down these people and, and, and showing them from the Scriptures that, that Jesus is the Christ. And then he gets mentioned again. Uh, he gets mentioned a few times. He gets mentioned again in, in, in 1 Corinthians. In, in, in fact, we find out in, in chapter 1 that, that he's so well-known and respected that there's people in, people in Corinth are kind of like, identifying themselves with him. Like Paul says, some of you are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Jesus. And so Apollos was really well-known well and well-respected. He's a big-time guy. I mean, here he is, he's carrying a letter. Right? I mean, if I was Apollos, I'd been like, can't you get one of the interns to carry one of your letters? I mean, come on, I'm Apollos. But here's Apollos. And then you have uh, Tychicus, a really uh, close friend of Paul's. He's mentioned in in Colossians and in Ephesians as a dear brother of Paul's. He carried both of those letters to their destination, and he was probably with Paul at the end. So one of the things you see here, right, is Paul's not going it alone. He has, he has these partners that are helping him, and, you know, Tychicus or Artemis, they're going to come and, and take Titus's place when Titus comes to visit Paul up in Nicopolis, and that's kind of what's happening here. And then, and then he mentions once again let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs. So here he's really emphasizing, like, you know, when there's a, 
rise to, rise to the occasion. But I want to ask you a question. How big is the cross in your life? I mean daily. And how big is the cross in your life whenever you hear or think about obedience? Or whenever you hear or think about good works or faithfulness or living the Christian life, how big is the cross in your life at that moment? Is it right here or is it in your rearview mirror, like back when you got saved? And we'll come back to that in a little bit. We got another question for you. What's progress in the Christian life look like? What's obedience in the Christian life? What, is, what are good works in the Christian life? How do you do it? Why do you do them? You might say, well, because God commands. It's not a great answer. If that's our only answer, that we only obey, well, because God tells us to. Of course, God does command obedience, right? Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I've, all that I've commanded you. But we, we need to be careful that we don't think of obedience as just something we do because God tells us to do it. But what, is, what does progress look like? How do you progress in the Christian life? Well, here's typical things we might hear. You need to read your Bible more, which you do. You need to pray more. You need to go to church more. Now, I know. I've been at Sojourn for a long time. We don't go to church. We are the church. I get it, right? But I did come here today. I didn't just sort of vaporize here. So I, but I do know. We are the church, but we, we still go. It's still a thing we do. We still go. It still says church on the sign. But you need to go to church. You need to be in church more. Well, you, you do. You need to serve more. The problem is... You need to serve more. You need to be loving people more. You need to be in a community group. You got to get yourself in a community group. You got to lead a community group. You've got to fight the temptations in your life. That's what you've got to be doing. You need to control your anger. You need to control your spending. Be a better steward of the money that God's given you. You need to give. You need to control your mouth. All right, let's like physician heal that stuff. I get it. But it's kind of the thing, right? Here's the things you need to do. And you need to do more of them because that's what the Christian life is, right? You got to do more of it to progress in the Christian life. Well, okay. I'm not going to deny for a second that we don't and shouldn't progress in the Christian life. But what does it look like? What's it look like when we progress in other things? Like, so let's say, Let's say you want to learn to play guitar, and you don't have any musical background. Where are you starting, skill-wise? Zero, right? We all agree on that. Start at a zero, and if you play guitar enough, you stick with it long enough, you'll get better. You'll, you'll progress. You, you almost have to. Almost anything plus time will be progress. You just add time to anything you're doing, and you will get better at it. You might not be the best at it, but you'll get better at it. Right? What if you want to learn to bake? Well, you go get an oven, buy some mixing bowls, pots and pans. 
ingredients, I suppose. Go watch the great British baking show and just get after it till you do it, right? Just add heat, and eventually you'll get better at it. But you started at zero, right? Maybe you'd never been in a kitchen before, I mean, to do anything other than eat. That is not what progress in the Christian life is like. Let me ask you this. How do you progress when God looks at you when you believe in Jesus and says, forgiven? When God looks at you and says, just, we'll come back to that in a minute and what that, what that means. When God looks at you and says, fully accepted in my sight, you're not starting at zero. So while we do and must progress in the Christian life, we have to have a completely different model for it than, okay, the cross kind of got me in the door, and now what I need to do is add these good works. And how many? More. How many good works do you need? The answer is always more. You need more. How many? More. Because it's never enough. If we think of the Christian life as the, the, the cross sort of leveraged me in, and now that I'm in, I got to do what works. How many? More. How many is enough? Never enough. Got to do more. That's how you progress. But here's a question. Again, same question. What does that look like when God looks at you and declares, and I mean, does God tell the truth or not? And says, forgiven. Christian good works and obedience does not start from zero and work its way up. Now, if there's one thing we will get sideways on immediately, it is good works and obedience. Because we have a tendency, all of us, because it's in us to make ourselves our own personal barometer of our Christianity. So I might get to the end of the day and like, let's see, put it all in the balance. Do I got more good works or less? Well, a little less today, but I'm going to do better tomorrow, right? So I'm going to resolve to do better tomorrow. How am I going to do it? Well, I'll probably say some stuff about empowered by the Spirit or something like that, which is true. But I'm just going to do better tomorrow. Now, you get to the end of the next day, and all of a sudden, the scale's tipped in a different way. I did better. Well, that's just as dangerous. Because now you're thinking, you know how I know I'm a Christian? I did more good works. That's how I know. And the problem with that is, is we're not basing knowing that we're a Christian based on what God says about us by faith in Jesus. We're basing it on our own performance and obedience and good works is not performance. It's not carried on a stick. And so we, we need to be careful when we're talking about it. Because we have to talk. Paul, Paul talks about it like in every section of this book. Good works. But we need, to, we need to be careful that we talk about good works in the same way that Paul does. So let's just recap a little bit. Just take a look again. So it's just kind of in our minds. Here's just a smattering of things that Paul says about obedience and good works in Titus. He says, an elder must be blameless. Blameless. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Older women to be reverent in behavior. 
Remind them, that is everybody, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, avoid fighting, be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. And that's just a, that's just a few examples. Now, what if we took that list that I just had and we just printed that up? Well, okay, sent it out on an email. Some, for some people, it'd be a print. And we're like, okay, I'm putting this one in the refrigerator. Every day, I'm doing these things. Every day. I'm going to open my phone every morning, tap my notes, look at it. I'm going to do these things. Well, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing you could do. But you know what would be the worst thing you could do? is if you could look at those things and say, I better do these things, and not once does the cross of Christ cross your mind. Because then you've fallen into the trap of living, learning, sorry, living the Christian life is like progress, progress in anything. I'm having trouble with the noun and the verbs, but I'll get, it, I'll, get it, I'll get it sorted out. Right? Because we can't just pull out only the verses in Titus or in the Bible that say, Good works, obey. It's full of those things. But we can't pull them out and then just look at them and think, this is what the Christian life is. It isn't. That's what performance is, if it's isolated like that. So let me show you. Here's, a, here's kind of a typical our kind of way. And by that, I just mean evangelical in general. This is one of the ways we kind of think about, I've got a slide for you. This is one of the ways we kind of think about salvation in general, right? So we start with the cross, right? And then so sometimes you hear it this way, like steps or order of salvation. You got justification, sanctification, glorification. And I get it. We do. We're saved. We're sanctified. We go to heaven. Though Paul, for what it's worth, can mix those up. and sort of clump them all together. And so we think of the cross, and then heaven, that's the big things, and then this thing in the middle. What do I do in the middle? Obedience, faithfulness, service, do, don't do. That's what it looks like. It can. Got the cross, got saved the day I got saved, then the day I die and go to heaven, got this middle part, it's all about me, and my obedience. And I got to do that more. And I better be doing that more. Then it starts to look like this. Notice the cross is getting a little bit smaller. This is just a visual, but I'm talking about practically. The cross gets a little bit smaller in our life. And we still talk about it, sure. But what we really talk about is obedience, faithfulness, service, you need to do this. You need to stop doing that. And then heaven. And then over time, it can start to look like this. Now the cross is tiny. It's like in our rear view mirror. It's back there. It's when I got saved. It's what we share with people when we're doing evangelism. It's what leveraged me into the kingdom. But now here's my list of things I've got to do. 
Now, if anybody's worried, I'm not against obedience or faithfulness or doing or not doing, as the case may be. What I'm against, and what, it's not just my own personal crusade, but what I'm against is this, not talking about those things like Christians, but talking about those things as if the Christian life is really just leveraging the cross, putting it in our rearview mirror like that day back there when I got saved, and then it has no real role day to day, day to day in your life. Now, we still talk about it, of course. We still sing about it. We should. But how big is the cross in your life day by day by day by day by day? Because I'll tell you this, if it is not first, if it's not in your windshield, and if it's only in your rearview mirror, that obedience, that resolution to do better, it's not going to go well. It's going to run, run into two things. Maybe it's either going to turn into like overwhelming kind of pride and legalism, or it's going to turn into total despair. As you face yet another day, you're like, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I said that again. I guess, I, you know what? I need to love more. I need to serve more. Until you're thinking, yeah, I do. And maybe I am. That's not the way Paul presents works and obedience in Titus. That is never the way the Bible talks about them, ever. This is, what, this is what it looks like in the Bible. This is, this is, there. Progress, sanctification, obedience, faithfulness is never moving away from the cross, ever, ever. It is never, here's the cross, and I'm just going to kind of distance myself of it as I'm progressing in sanctification, got the cross in the back, it's like my, you know, it's sort of juiced me like steroids, it's pushing me forward, now I'm doing my part, leaning on the cross, getting to heaven. In the Bible, the cross is never in our rear view. Obedience Progress in the Christian life, sanctification, faithfulness is always in and back to the cross every day. Obedience flows from a life of forgiveness, not from a life that started at zero and earned its way up. In other words, the Christian life doesn't take salvation by faith alone through grace alone and then sort of toss that out as the only, is like getting in the door, and now we talk about it for salvation, and now we have to do our thing. It continues on. And this is exactly how Paul talks about it. And this is what Lyle's been emphasizing this over and over and over and over again. And I thought, well, a good thing to do maybe is just to come back here at the end and kind of reemphasize all the things that Lyle's been emphasizing. Take chapter 2, verses 11 and 14, for instance. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny. Another way you could say it is, it teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust, to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So there is salvation, you know, living godliness and hope for the future. 
But look what Paul does. Where does Paul end this? He redeemed us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession eager to do good works. Why are they eager to do good works? Because they understand that God looks at them and says, you're forgiven. You're free. You don't have to do your good works to get to me. I got to you. I came to you. And he cleansed us so that we would do good works, but not because we're doing them because of what we're hoping to get out of them, ever. We do them because it flows from a life where we have received everything and have given God nothing. Jesus took our sins, and when he took them, he took them. And so when he says, instructing us to deny godly, God, godlessness, or he teaches you to say no to ungodly, ungodliness, what does that mean? Well, just let me borrow a line from a well-known pastor. When you're facing temptation, right, it's a big deal. It really is every day. And you're thinking, I've got to beat this thing down. How are you going to do that? You're going to do that by doing what Paul does here. Paul begins, before he talks about godliness, before he talks about, um, before he talks about righteousness, sensible, godly way in the present age, all these kind of things, he starts with Jesus, right? God's grace appear, and he ends with what? He redeemed you from all lawlessness already. In other words, here's the truth. There is no sin, no temptation in your life that you are called to kill that has not already been killed at the cross. Everyone. It's already been destroyed by Jesus. That's how we can pursue godliness. That's how we can pursue obedience by understanding that Jesus has destroyed sin for us and has forgiven us so that we're set free to obey, not just like, oh, I got to obey, I better obey, or God's going to get me. God's not going to get you. He's not just out to get you. God came and got you in Christ and has set us free. Now, I mean, today, you know, let's be honest, I'm not talking about the seriousness of sin. I'm not talking about God's judgment. That's not what's on the table today. I'm talking about how do we think as Christians, as Christians, about obedience and faithfulness, and not just as people who are trying to progress along the way. Well, think of this other text in Titus 3. This, This was just from last week. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, that's like the same, almost the exact same thing. Appeared what? In Christ. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, and He doesn't save us by works of righteousness that we are currently doing, and He doesn't save us by works of righteousness that we might do in the future. Your works, past, present, future. God doesn't save you on the basis of those things. But according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, you are made new. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, 
They are a new creation, full stop. That's the place from which, and the only place from which, we can think about obedience and good works. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves on that endless treadmill of pride and despair as we try to prove to ourselves and to others by the things we do, hey, I'm in. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So, you're, you're an heir of eternal life. What do you add to that? How do you become more of an heir of eternal life? What do, you, what do you sort of chuck in on that? Does our obedience, like, confirm it? Like, God's like, you know, I've made the cake, and I'm back to baking. I've made the cake, now you've got to ice it with your good works. Well, I mean, cake is fine without icing. It's not as good, but it's cake. And this word justified, I know, I know you just heard about it, but just let me say this. When you hear this word, you have to imagine this. Imagine going in a courtroom, all your sin on the table, all of it, and it's God's courtroom. He's the judge. He's also the prosecutor. And standing in your place is Christ Jesus who died for you. And God looks at you and sees only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for you. And looks at you in the face and says, forgiven, not guilty, righteous. God looks at you and declares that you stand before him as one who has done everything that's pleasing to him. That is not starting at zero. That's God's declaration that you are justified in his sight. And so when we think about obedience, which we must, and good works, which we must, and faithfulness, which we must, and service, which we must, and love, and everything else that we could say, it has to begin with this, that God has already declared that we are just in His sight, that we are righteous in His sight. And He seals it with this, because this needs to be really, really clear. Righteousness is not a thing that God gives you like this, right? So there's not like this big sort of warehouse of righteousness in heaven. And when you get saved, God sort of shovels out, I mean, whatever, buckets out. I I bought three buckets yesterday. So He gets a big bucket full of righteousness, hands it to you, says, here's your righteousness. Here it is. Your righteousness is a person. Jeremiah 23, he will be called the Lord who is our righteousness. That is your righteousness. Your righteousness is a he. It is Jesus Christ himself. That's the righteousness that justifies you. That's the righteousness that you have. That's the righteousness that God has declared on you. apart from your works. And it's from that standing and that standing alone that we can think about obedience, faithfulness, and living the Christian life. You see, it's not starting at zero. 
It's starting from the cross. It's starting from freedom. So in that sense, yes, good works, they flow from the cross, but they flow from freedom. Fighting temptation, it flows from the cross. As you understand more and more, the things you're facing have been put to death. It has already been neutered. It no longer has control over you. And this is, see, this is what Paul does over and over. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. What does Paul want Titus to insist on? Mercy, regeneration, renewal, pouring out of the Spirit, heirs of eternal life, justification. That's what Paul says to Titus. This is clear as day. I want you to insist on those things. Why? Because it's only by insisting on those things that you can go on and say what? So that those who have believed might be careful to devote themselves to good works that pour out of a life of freedom and gratitude, not a life of, you better do these things. Now, sometimes I talk this way and people are like, you know what? That's going to make people uh, soft on sin. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. When we consider every single day of our life that it's our sin for which Jesus died and hung on a cross, that he has killed it, is that going to make me like sin more? Is that going to make me soft? I get people, I hear this song, you're going to make people soft on sin. Really? If we really believe, if we really understand that Christ took our sins upon himself and died on the cross for us and that God declares upon that death that you are justified, is that going to make you be like, yeah, I'm pretty good with sin? No. It puts it to death. Why? Because it has been put to death already in Jesus. It does the opposite of getting soft on sin. You know what gets soft on sin? is the idea that every day and in every way I'm getting better and better and better by my own works. Because then you will be mowed down by it. So you see the cross, which we turn to every day, that stands every single day of your life as God's word of yes to you in Christ by faith. And you have to embrace that yes from God every day in your life by faith, every day. When you're faced with temptation, when you're torn between, you know, I, you know, I was going to do that, I was going to help this guy, I was going to do this thing, but you know, I kind of want to do some other things. You're faced every, you have to be faced every day with what? God saying yes to you in Christ. That you're an heir of eternal life. That these things are yours by faith, always, already. It's a life that flows not just from the cross, but every day flows back to it. Every single day. The cross, the gospel is not just for the day you got saved. It's not just for preaching and teaching evangel evangelistic sermons or lessons. It's not just for sharing the gospel. It is for all those things. It is for every day, without which we are finished without which our works will account for nothing, nothing. Every resolution that I will do better will just lead to what? 
yet another resolution of, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. It's only by putting the cross front and center. And if I promise you, if you find somebody who's been a Christian for a long, long time, and they tell you the story of their life, I promise you it's going to be what? About how they came, their progress was marked by this, of every day understanding deeper and deeper and deeper what Christ has done for them and the freedom that that brought them to serve. And if you ask to talk to them about, wow, you've really served a lot, you've really loved a lot, all those things, they're like, look, that's not, that's not what I want to talk about. It's just always true. And so, as you're going and you're thinking about these things again, please don't hear me saying that good works don't matter or that obedience doesn't matter or faithful doesn't matter, faithfulness doesn't matter. Don't, please don't hear me say that. What I'm trying to talk about is what makes it matter is that God looks at you and says, you're forgiven. It's every day understanding that God speaks the truth. And he doesn't just speak the truth about that guy or that girl or that man or that woman about you. And it's not just, well, I'm not, you know, but what about what I did? What about what, about what I just thought? What? God speaks the truth. Justification by faith is by faith grasping that God speaks the truth about you. And then that will set you free to do good works without worrying about what you're going to get out of them. It will make you love good works because God has loved you. It will make you want to serve others. Why? Because Jesus has served you by dying on the cross for you and giving you a new life and pouring out the Spirit in you. It will completely transform the way we think of the entire Christian life. It will do the opposite of making us soft on sin. It will make us hate it more and more every day. But it's the cross always. Paul begins the letter talking about grace at the very beginning. He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that leads to godliness. Look, it leads to it. In the hope of eternal, there it is, hope of eternal life. That God who cannot lie promised before time began. Can you, we need to, we need to push that down deep in us every single day. This is the truth. This is the reality of your Christian life. That God who cannot lie and does not lie about you when he says, forgiven, he does not lie. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I, entrust, I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the grace and peace of God poured out. And Paul ends his letter with these words. Grace be with all of you. The whole book of Titus, book ended, grace and grace. And it's only within understanding grace and God's grace poured out on the cross that we can really think about what are the works that we do. Right? The theme we've had is the theme we've had is the beautiful church. What makes the church beautiful is that it's filled with people, it's filled with sinners 
who have been redeemed by Jesus. And out of that redemption are devoting themselves to doing good. That's what makes it beautiful. Not just what we do, but that we are sinners saved by grace every single day. And that's the freedom we have. That's the freedom we have to be sort of the beautiful church, sinners saved by grace. And we celebrate that salvation by grace alone every single week. When we take the bread and the cup, and I invite you in a moment, if you're a believer, to come forward or backward. Sounds weird to say go backward at church, right? So you come to one of the stations. I talked that to death. In each corner, there'll be somebody there who will pronounce to you, this is uh, Christ's body broken for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. You can go up in groups of two or three and just sort of give people time to get in and out, right? Um, And we'll celebrate this together because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that has been broken, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this is the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as you go up today, I just want to invite you. When you go forward, remember this. You don't have to bring anything. Nothing. You go open-handed to receive, and that's what God does. God pours out forgiveness and mercy and grace, and all that we're asked to do is to receive it. So whatever it is, leave it at the cross and understand that is your freedom, that is your life, that is God's mercy and grace, that is your justification. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.